Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you Thank you guys for coming on a rainy day, on a, on a day that we're, it's said to have tornado warnings. Um, hopefully these buildings will do well, but um, we know that the Spirit of the Lord is with us. And whatever winds may come, the winds of the Holy Spirit um, will come against that. Amen. So we're in a good place and we're all together. So it's always a, man, look at that. It's always a good place uh, to be in the house of God together. I want to share a message, and if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down, and you're going to kind of see the kind of message it's going to be today. So if you're a guest here, we welcome you, we honor you, we thank you for being here. Um, every Sunday, some, you know, sometimes it's different, you know, you just never know what you're going to get here, um, but we are grateful that you're here. Uh, but I want you, even if you're a guest or if you haven't been here for a while or if you're here all the time, just listen to these words. Here's today's message. It's titled... Be aware of your day. You should write that down. Be aware of your day. So when I, when I mention that phrase, to be aware, what comes to mind? Like caution, what else? Be aware of your day. Caution's a good word. Say it loud. Vigilant. Anyone else? Intentional. Someone from the back. The back is quiet. From the upper deck. Huh? Don't be scared. Alert. Alert. There you go. Power. Alert. The Lord did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Yell it from the inside of you. All right. Amen. Alert. All those things, right? Be aware of your day. Shake that person next to you a little bit because it's raining. It's tiring. Be aware of your day. I know. I I used to hate being in Sunday service and when the preacher would do that. Shake the person next to you and tell them this. And here I am doing it. Be aware of your day. A few weeks ago, we had Code Sunday. Hopefully you remember that. And if you don't, go back to our YouTube and hear it. And we shared a conversation of our first code. And the first code, it's up here so you have a cheat sheet. It was, we believe the hype. where We spoke about faith in Christ and in his word. And we spent some time in that code, for that code Sunday. Next week, we have the um, privilege to jump into our second code. The first Sunday of every month is going to be code Sunday. So next Sunday is the first Sunday of May, and we're going to be jumping into our second code, which is one of my favorite codes because it's the one that I can relate to the most, and it's this, we are not normal. I love when people look at me and say, you're so weird. You're not normal. I'm like, that's one of my church codes. That's one of our values. I'm not called to be normal. I'm not called to be average. I'm called to be different. So thank you for telling me you're not normal. You don't want to miss next week's message. If you've ever felt like you're not normal, or if you know some family members and some friends that are not normal, I think that's all of us. It's a great Sunday to bring them because Next Sunday, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to look at them in the eyes, and I'm going to tell them, you're weird, 
and you're not normal. And you're going to be like, amen. I'm so happy I brought them to church. So we're going to go into our second code. We're not normal. And there's a flip side to that value, that code in our church. Our codes, remember, we call them codes here. They're our values. They're, the, they're foundational values that we believe in. And this is to be remarkable. And I'm going to teach on what that means. So I, I want you to, to be excited for next week and, and pump it up, invite someone, share our, our preachings to people. Today's message, you have the opportunity throughout the week to share it to someone that God puts in your mind, say you want to come next week. If you've ever felt not normal, that's what he's going to talk about. So I want you to, to do that because I think that's going to be something that's going to bless someone. But if you look closely at our code, at these values, uh, that's what they are. I just shared them with you. They're foundations, and they're foundational in our Christian walk. And, and the reason why is to move us in the direction of obedience and service to God and service towards others. And that's what we want them to do, our service unto the Lord and our service unto others. And we were able yesterday to live out our codes, really almost all of our codes yesterday. Yesterday was a beautiful day, and I was so sad when I was there, and I looked around. I said, where's our church? Where'd they go? But I saw some of the warriors that were there. And, and I'm, and I'm going to say this just with love. If you missed yesterday, I'm not doing this to make you feel bad, but you should feel bad. We had a spectacular... Am, am I lying? Those that went yesterday, am I lying? We had a spectacular, a beautiful time together in our prayer walk. Our next one, write it down already in your calendar. It's September 13th. Don't miss September 13th. I mean, we had such a, 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 an amazing time, and we lived out our values, our codes yesterday as we walked and we prayed, and we did ministry um, right there in this abortion facility. I mean, it was powerful, um, and it was just a beautiful time. Here's a, a picture I believe they have of a group of us that was there and um, I want this group on September 13th to double or have you in faith triple, quadruple, and they'll post it up once, once they got it there. But that's the group that went, and we just had a beautiful, a beautiful time. And um, we had some youth and some youth leaders from the way that went as well. We were so excited that they joined us. Um, don't miss September 13th. But these guys on Saturday lived out our codes the way that they marched and prayed, some of them um, 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 prayed out loud, led prayer groups. I mean, it was such a beautiful time together. So I'm, I'm just so grateful. Let's give them a hand and honor them because they're heroes. They're, they're warriors. I don't take this lightly. Like, they impacted the kingdom of heaven. And you should be proud of your brothers and sisters that they did kingdom work yesterday. We should celebrate them. Amen? So I, I honor them and I celebrate them today. Uh, because the kingdom of heaven um, was at work through them yesterday. So we're just so excited. So thank you for that. Be aware of your day. Scripture, as we look at this group and honor them, and we get into this message today, into some thoughts, Scripture tells us, and James writes about it. And not just James, but Paul as well. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And he tells us that we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says. We are his work. We are his poema. We're his written, I mean, 
It's us. Like when, when Christ looks at us, I want you to think about the detail of this scripture. We are created, it says, in Christ Jesus. So if I'm his work and I'm created in Christ, what is it for? Well, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, this is what it's for. You are created in Christ for good works. We've preached that, we've shared that, taught that here. You are to do good things for the kingdom. Good works. Good deeds. And these are the works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what did God call us to walk in? Perverted works or sinful works? Works of darkness? No, Scripture is so clear. He says we were, it was prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what they're called is, they're called good works. Created in Christ Jesus, we are His workmanship. How many of you could say amen? amen. I am God's work created in Him to do good works. This letter, this person whose life is being written out, is to be read by many. And as it's read by many, may it be a good reading that you have. Yes, there's chapters in there that get a little rough. Yes, there's pages in there that if you open it up, you'll be like, should I skip this chapter? But is your life God's good work for humanity? Amen? So be aware of your day. We're going to get into this, but I want to make sure you understand this as we look at our day and as you look at your own day and what this means to be aware. We need to be aware of our day, meaning we need to be and fight against being distracted. Not allowing the petty things, the things of no eternal value to take hold of our hearts. Church, I need you to really listen to this. I am so happy that if this was my last day on this earth, I'm happy that I'm preaching this message today. Not distracted, the petty things. We need to stay grounded in the truth that has set us free. Not slowly becoming stagnant or drifting. We're going to talk about that. Finding ourselves, giving energy to things that God's truth has already freed us from. You've ever found yourself being free from something? Some time passes and you go back to it. And you're like, oh my God, I remember when there was a moment that I stopped doing this in my life. Anyone ever been there? And you catch yourself doing it again? Be aware of your day. I'm speaking to that person. I'm speaking to that person today. That God's truth has already freed us from. We need to flee. Everyone say flee. You could say run. We need to run to flee from unprofitable unfruitful discourse more than ever we need to defend our faith <laughs> and we need to defend the body of Christ not wasting our words and quarreling and grumbling and complaining or in dividing which brings more defeat but focus on life on edifying on discipling on raising an army from dry bones Focusing on victory, our words, our words should be declaring the message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Church, because it is, and it's very close at hand.
It is close. We should not be condemning. But in every circumstance, we should be looking for the opportunity to speak repentance. Which is to every single one of us. Everyone say repentance. Yeah. Which is to every single one of us the responsibility to share of God's goodness, which scripture says leads man to repentance. I don't feel comfortable in the street preaching to people, telling them to repent of their sin. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell you to do that. You could go to the street and preach God's goodness, and God's goodness will lead people to repent, Scripture says. So if you feel bad doing that good, there's another way that you could preach Jesus, and it's speak good of Him. Don't condemn people to hell. But how about convince them into heaven? Convince them into heaven. Be aware of your day. There is so much more, right, that we can say and that I can tell you today about being aware of our day, but don't let it pass by. Don't let it deceive you. Don't allow the lies that this world tells us that there is nothing that can be done to change it. There's nothing that you can do to make it better. How many of you have heard that voice? You can't do anything to change your family. You can't do anything to change your work culture. You can't do anything to change your household. You can't do anything to change yourself. You can't do it to change your business. You can't do it to change your neighborhood. You can't do it to change your community. You can't do it. It's impossible that God can use just a little insignificant you to do such a great thing. You've ever heard that voice? You just can't do it. Don't accept those lies. Because if you've accepted those lies, you've accepted the very plan of the enemy and Satan now has a hold on you. I'll read some scripture just so you could say, okay, he wasn't lying. I'm going to read Ephesians 2.10 and then I'm going to go to Colossians and then I go to Titus and look at all these and these are just some that I, that I picked out because there's so many. Ephesians, again, it tells us, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. You can do it, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can do it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 says, so as to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see scripture, what it's saying to us? Am I, am I, sharing, am I preaching to anyone here today? All right, good. Making sure. Titus chapter 3 verse 14 says it too. So the church throughout all Judea. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Acts. Titus 3.14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. As to help Cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. I mean, there's so much scripture that tells you and I, be fruitful. There's so much scripture that tells you and I, do something. There's so much, so much scripture that tells you and I to walk, to walk worthy, to walk in good works. To do something here on this earth for the kingdom. So when the enemy starts to lie to me and says, Rigo... I know you want to go and do this, but you know it's impossible. I need to recognize, like, no, that's not from God. Or he puts someone before me, and I feel from the Holy Spirit, speak to them. And the little voice says, don't speak to them. They're going to think you're crazy. 
They're not going to really listen to you. Or the Lord gives me a vision, I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to, I'm going to perform that. I'm going, to, I'm going to walk in that vision that God's given me. And the enemy says, oh, you don't really have the strength and the wisdom to do that. You shouldn't walk in that. Can you imagine? You're going to fail. I have to recognize that those are things that the enemy wants to do in my life to stray me away from what God wants to do. So today's message is titled to be aware of your day. Be aware because we're not battling within ourselves. We're battling some very dark forces on this earth. We're battling some evil agendas and we're battling the spirit and the flesh that's within us is battling. So I start to read and in Acts chapter 9, I said, well, how did the early church do this? Because there was no churches. There was Jesus walking around and multitudes would follow him. And then he goes and he says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Stay in Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, he says, stay in Jerusalem because not so many days from now, this is what's going to happen in a few days from now. You're going to all be in one place and the spirit of the Lord is going to fall upon you. And when the Holy Spirit falls on you, the great helper sent from the Father, he begins to teach his disciples what it's going to do. It's going to give you boldness. So they're in the upper room and they're worshiping and the Holy Spirit falls on 120 people. They begin to speak in new tongues. And there's outsiders that are there for the feast. And they're looking and they're saying, they're speaking our language. We know what they're saying. We know the story in, in Acts. Peter comes out. And he says, hey, I hear what you guys are saying. You think they're all drunk in there because they're all saying da 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 and you don't understand what they're saying. But they're not drunk. What has fallen on them is what the Lord has promised, the Holy Spirit. And he begins to preach to the masses. The Bible says, look at this, listen to this, okay? Can you imagine if Peter got in his mind? Oh, they'll never listen to me. They're going to kill me like they killed my Jesus. But he took a step of faith and he preached. And that day that he preached, 3,000 people said, give me that Jesus. 3,000 people said, take us to the waters. And I would have, if I could see anything in the book of Acts, I would have loved to see the day of Pentecost. Because I want to know how Peter and the disciples were able to baptize 3,000 people in one shot. I mean, talk about, talk about walking into an opportunity. Talk about taking, can you imagine if Peter would have not have done that? If the disciples would have lived in fear, if they would have said, oh my God, our day, listen, our day is not a good day because the Romans are killing us. We saw what they just did to our great leader, Jesus. They hung him on the cross naked and put him to shame. And everyone walked down the road and they would spit on him and mock him. If they did that to Jesus, they'll do it. Can you imagine the fear? They'll do that to us. I should not speak of his name. I should not preach to the multitudes today. I should be hidden somewhere because if they killed him, they're going to kill every single one of his followers as was planned. But he doesn't do that. His day was rough. He was aware of his day. But he took the opportunity in that moment, in a day where I believe the enemy wanted to stray him, 
in, a, in the day that the enemy wanted to cause the disciples to be quiet, he stepped forward and he stepped into God's opportunity. And on that moment, the kingdom of heaven fell on earth. And we look at it and we say, well, you know what? The disciples had it easier, did they? I mean, we don't agree with our laws, let's say. But these guys were being hunted down to be killed. We're not there yet. Did they have it easier than us? Think about what they were willing to do in their day for the things of God. It's convicting and it's, it's something that I'm proud that I belong to a family of such. So let's read this. Because I'm going to speak to you about this early church that I just described to you. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, listen to this. This is the church that I just told you. This church that gets saved, and now it's spreading. Listen to what happens to them. Look at how this early church begins to grow. It says in Acts 9, 31, So the church throughout all Judea, all of Galilee, all of Samaria, listen to this, had peace and was being built up. You saw that? The government of their age was trying to destroy them, but the Spirit of God was building them up. The government of their day was executing them, but Scripture says they were being built up. And they began, listen to this, walking in the fear of the Lord. Very important. You should highlight that in your Bible. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, well, guess what happened in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? They began to what? They began to multiply. So I knew I was coming to church today. And I said, what can I tell Ernest? And I think the best thing I could tell Ernest is this. Are we walking in the fear of the Lord? And are we walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? In order to see what God is doing here, to see it multiply. It only comes when it's rooted in the fear of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit is driving it, when the Holy Spirit is leading it, the Holy Spirit will also bring multiplication to it. They were walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. And I thought about this right here as the early church, and, I, and all I could write down in my notes was this. I said, guard the fear of the Lord. So I'm going to take a moment now and just be very personal for the rest of our message. And I want you to start answering questions on your own. Maybe you want to write it down. If you're scared that the person next to you is going to look at that sheet of paper, hide the paper or hide the phone and take notes. But answer some questions. How are you doing with the fear of the Lord? Sometimes we need to stop what we're doing and stop all the preachings and all the teachings and just ask very hard questions. Are we walking and living in the fear of the Lord? Or are we allowing things in our lives that are distinguishing, extinguishing the fear of the Lord? It's, it's putting it away. I want you to ask yourself this. Am I guarding the fear of the Lord? And what I want to do is, as you ask yourself this question, I want to read some scripture of the Holy Spirit. Because if we're going to get anywhere, let's be honest about the Holy Spirit today. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Did you guys see this? Romans tells us that the spirit of God dwells in us. And if he dwells in us, then we are in the spirit. And we're not giving in to the things of the flesh. Look what Romans says. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't even belong to him. How many people are fooled because they think, oh no, like, I, I kind of like believe in Jesus, but they don't live with the spirit of Christ in them. Have you ever read that scripture? Sorry, guys. But they come up to the, the throne room and they says, Lord, Lord, I'm so happy to see you. I'm paraphrasing it. And he's like, are you? He's like, yes, I, I casted out demons. I preached your word. I did so many. And the Lord's looking, I was like, I never knew you. You need to leave from here. I mean, I think that's such a hard verse. But I think it's there for a reason to give us an understanding of, are there a people that say that they're in Christ, but the spirit of Christ is not really alive in them? They have the spirit of the world in them. The spirit of the world in their mind. You have people that when it's popular and when it's well, they wave the banner of Christianity. But then they get amongst other people groups. And what are they? They're just as dark as they are. And you're like, what are you? Are you light or are you darkness? And one day these individuals will stand before the throne room of God and say, Lord, I went to church on Sunday and we casted out a demon. And we went and we did a walk for the abortionist. And we did all these things in your name. And the Lord looks at them and says, good but you, I never knew. Can, can, can there re- I hope not. Not, not here. Not, not here today. There's not anyone like that. But I know that in other churches, there are people that sit there and they wave the banner of Christianity when it's, when it's opportune for them, when it's, when it's proper for them. But could it be that outside of that service, there is no conviction of God in their heart? That's just one scripture. In Romans 8, 16, it says the spirit, because we have them living inside of us, right? How many of us, right, have the spirit of God living inside of us? If we do, Romans says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We're children of God. Someone could stand before me and say, you're going to hell. And I'll be like, what? Who lied to you? Because the spirit bears with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I was having this conversation um, with our sister the other day, other day at our house, and I said, it doesn't matter. You're, you're a daughter of God. And if you come back and you come to repentance, you're, you're his daughter and you understand that with conviction. I, I, I go, my son, my daughter, I don't just wake up one day and I say, what they did last night was bad. So watch what I'm going to do today. So in the morning I wake up and they come out of the room. Dad, I'm like, you're no longer my daughter today. Because of what you did yesterday, I excommunicate you from daughterhood. No, regardless of what she did the night before, regardless of what my son did, and I get it, they're young. Some of you are older kids like, wait until he gets older. Let's see if you're preaching the same thing. I get it. Wait until you turn 18. 
You might change that a little bit. I'm not there yet. Come back in eight years. But he's still going to be my son. He'll hit the lowest of lows. He'll say the ugliest of things. He'll do the darnest of things. But when I look at him, I say, he's still my son. And it's up to him whether he's going to honor that fatherhood and he's going to walk into that. And I want you to see what Romans says. It says that we are children of God and his spirit cries out to our spirit. In John 14, 26, it says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and he'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Why does the Holy Spirit need to be alive and awoken, right? He needs to be woken, awoken and living and powerful and leading and guiding and convicting us. Because look what John says. The Holy Spirit in us is teaching us. So I'm going to ask you a question as you're guarding the fear of God, as you're living in the Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit teaching you today? I wish I had a mic up here. Yeah, because I would love to say to some of you, come up here and tell us what the Holy Spirit has taught you this last week. Is he teaching us? Oh, well... I haven't gone to school. Well, start sitting in his school. Start sitting in his class. Scripture says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent, he teaches you all things. Have you stopped allowing yourself to be taught? Why did I title this message, To Be Aware of Your Day? Here's why. Because what we start to do, and I'm going to close with this, is we start to look at these scriptures that I'm reading here to build my point at the end. I'm going to read through a text. And we start to push ourselves away from it. And our relationship with the Holy Spirit, now it's not the same like, it, like the way it used to be. I used to wake up early and pray. Now I'm just sleeping now. I used to read my Bible and really meditate a lot before going to bed. But now I'm just binge watching now. And this is what scripture is teaching us. It says in Ephesians 4.30 about the Holy Spirit, about guarding it, and guarding the fear of the Lord. Look at this. It says, do not grieve him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because look what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption. If there's anyone that you should not grieve, anyone that you should not, not welcome is the Holy Spirit. Welcome him. Because he is your seal of redemption. In Acts 7:51, look at these words. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you resist the Holy Spirit always. As your fathers did, so did you. And he's speaking to a group of individuals who relate to this and say the Jewish people, they, 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 drifted and they turned their ears and their hearts away from the Holy Spirit and you're doing the same thing that your fathers did in the wilderness. So as I get ready to get into the meat of what I want to share with you today, I want to encourage you with those verses and with this thought to steward, steward your relationship with Holy Spirit. I want you to think of yourself for a moment and I want you to think about your relationship with the Holy Spirit and how are you stewarding it. Are you being sensitive to it? 
Number two, guard the fear of the Lord. And guard the fear of the Lord in your heart. And all of that to say, the reason why you need to steward the Holy Spirit and the reason why you need to guard the fear of the Lord is because of the days that we're living in. Be aware of your day. Here it is. Because the day that we're living in wants you and I to strip away relationship with the Holy Spirit. The days that we're living in wants you and I to minimize the fear of the Lord in our lives. So I want to read now a portion from Hebrews 2. And as we read this, I'm going to read just four verses from it. And I want you to really see what the author is saying here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to read, and I want you to know this. This is not written to unbelievers. This is written to Christians. What I'm about to read to you is written to people just like us. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer yet. Maybe you're watching and you're not there. But for the one that is a believer and says is a follower of Jesus, Hebrews was written for them. And the author, as he writes this, is reminding them of this one very important truth. And here it is. To be very careful. Very careful to hold on and to stay strong in their salvation. And there's my message today. See, this group of Christians, what happened with them was they were second-guessing. They were, they were having doubts about their conversion to Christianity. So the author has to write them a letter and to show them that Christianity is the true successor of Judaism. They were worried, should we stick back to our Jewish ways? Should we go back to Judaism? So many people focus so much on tradition that what happens is they lose out. They have no deep, intimate relationship with God. But my God, they're so heavily fixed on traditions. And the church was like, should we go back to our tradition? And, and, And the writer is like, no, what you do is based and it comes from those traditions. You're a Judeo Christian now. Don't, don't, don't waver in your faith about Jesus Christ. He is your Messiah. Stop guessing, stop guess, second guessing. Stop having doubts about did I do the right thing, giving my life to Christ. And the author needs to warn them about this. And he says, be careful in what you're doing. In the beginning of chapter 2, we start reading, and here's what he says. Look at this, verse 1. He says, therefore, I love when you read the word therefore, because what's coming after that is very important. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. The author is saying, pay attention to what you heard in the times past. Because I feel, the author is saying, that you've strayed away from some very important teachings. You strayed away from some truths that you were rooted in. So pay close attention to what you've heard. Look what he says next. Lest we drift away from it. Verse 1 eventually will be what I'm going to close everything off with. Let's keep reading. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, we'll go over all this, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's a question. It was declared at first by the Lord. Now he's going to answer it. And it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4. 
While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's go over this. Remember, this is just a small portion of a much larger written address from the author of Hebrews to this group of believers, to these followers of Jesus. We're not getting into all of it. We're just focusing on these four verses. Watch how Eugene Peterson translates verses 1 through 4 in the message translation. It says it this way. It's crucial that we keep a firm grip on what we've heard so that we don't drift off. If the old message delivered by angels was valid and nobody got away with anything, do you think we can risk neglecting the latest message, the magnificent salvation, first of all, This magnificent salvation was delivered in person by the master, by Jesus. Then accurately it was passed on to those who heard it from Jesus. All the while God was validating it with gifts through the Holy Spirit, all sorts of signs and miracles as he saw fit. I want you to catch what the author is addressing. And he eventually, he gets more detailed on it and we don't, have the time to do that, but read it on your own, especially chapter 2. From here, he takes a long dive as a surgeon of sort, performs surgery to prove to these Christians that wavering from the truth that they've heard is not and cannot be considered. He's writing to them that if they're to do anything, it is to keep their trust and their faith in Jesus. And these are some of the things that he talks about. Jesus is your promise. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus, the fulfillment, the founder of our salvation, the one greater than Moses, because they were so fixed on the Mosaic law that he had to tell them, our Jesus is the one greater than even Moses. Jesus, the promised rest of God's people. Jesus, the sacrifice of our sins. Jesus, he even goes into teaching about the Jesus, our high priest. And in these four verses, we see that he writes to them that Jesus is even greater than angels. When he says this verse, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, the Jewish reader or audience would understand what he means. Because the Jewish audience would say that the Mosaic law was passed on or delivered to them by God through angels. And and if the words of the Mosaic law has proved steadfast, If the law that we believe in has stood firm in pointing out sin and disobedience was dealt with in people's lives, look what the author says. How should you and I neglect, or another translation says, what makes us think that we could escape neglecting such a great salvation? If the law did it well, what makes us think Jesus, which is the fulfillment and which is the law in in flesh, what makes you think that he is not well and will do it well? How can you neglect him, your salvation? And then he says, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. The New Living says it this way. So what makes us think that we could escape? If we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself, and then it was delivered to us by those who heard him speak. This was a word to believers. David Guzik has a great commentary in where he says 
And he speaks on this and he talks about how to remember that this was not for outsiders, but for those that were in the faith. And I want you to listen to this and you can write this on your notes. The danger of what the author of Hebrews is writing is this. It's not about rejecting salvation. Though that's important and there's principle in that, but the danger is neglecting salvation. Are you neglecting the salvation? Hebrews was written not as a word of evangelism, but as an encouragement. And it was a warning to Christians who were discouraged. It was written to those who neglected in abiding in the walk of Christ. So to ask you some personal questions and to go back to the theme or to the title of our message, to be aware of your day, the great question that I have to ask myself, and if I have to ask it to myself, I'll be kind enough to ask it to you. And it's, have you been discouraged as a follower of Jesus? And in your discouragement, have you seen it where it's causing you to neglect the walk of God? Neglect the walk of faith. The author of Hebrews says, don't do it. Be aware of your day. You've been discouraged. You've had some questions that you felt need to be answered. You've wavered with some faith questions. But the author of Hebrews is making it very, very, very clear. And this is why I wanted to share it today to us, to myself first, to you second. And it's this. Though you could be discouraged... Do not allow that discouragement regal, not for once. Do not allow it to neglect your abiding in me. <sighs> How many of you are not abiding in him because you've allowed neglecting, because you've allowed discouragement in your life to win? And the author of Hebrews had to address the church. And I said, my God, we're living in some very interesting times. And you heard me say this here weeks ago, that sometimes it's so heavy even on me. It's, it's heavy, it's hard. But not for once. Can the days that we are in, the, the things that we face, the things that surround us, can they push us so far that we neglect abiding in Christ Jesus our Lord? What is the author of saying here? Hey, church, hello. If you've received such a great salvation, how many of you can say you've received such a great salvation? Amen. Can you? Amen. I can. Can you? Amen. Amen. So can they. When they open up the scroll and they read this for the first time, they know what they're reading. As you have ears to hear today and I ask you those questions, you know what you're hearing you guys have received such a great salvation, such words of truth that was delivered to you. And not just was it delivered to you, but what does he say? God confirmed it. And he confirmed it by giving signs and wonders and miracles and the gift of the Holy Spirit whenever he saw it fit. How many of you in your lives, come on, be careful, be aware of your day. How many of you in your life have seen the work of the Holy Spirit manifest in your life? 
You've seen a sign, wonders, and miracles take place in your life. You ever been there? You ever seen that? Where I could say, there is no other option. There, there is nothing else. That, that, is, that, is, that is from God. Everyone I've prayed for hasn't been healed, but I've seen people drastically get, like, I'm like, what was that? Or I've seen someone that was lost and broken and just in, in, in the mud in the, and, and, and then immediately come to the light and they're transformed. Have you, have you ever, has it happened to you where you've seen and you could testify and you could give witness, you could come up here better than I can and talk about the miracles and the wonders and the signs of God and the works of the Holy Spirit in your life where you shouldn't be here, where you should be dead, or you should have been divorced, or you should have lost a child. or You, should. you have all these different unique stories, every single one of you. But you could say, I am here today because I've seen the Holy Spirit work in me. You could testify of that. You could speak of that. The author of Hebrews is saying, not only have you come to believe it, but you saw signs, you saw the wonders, you saw miracles, and you saw the Holy Spirit move the way he saw it fit, period, exclamation point, star, emoji, whatever, send it. And that's what he's writing to them. Not only did truth land in your heart, but your eyes have seen truth manifest before you. Not always has it been great, but you're still here today because your eyes have seen and your ears have heard things that no man can disprove in your life. And this is what is being warned, and he says, be aware of your day. Pay close attention. Listen very careful. And this is what I close up with. I close up with verse 1. And in verse 1, I'll read it again. He says, pay close attention to what you have heard. To what you first come to believe. I've seen people come to the church. They're on fire for God. They've come to believe in salvation. Years pass, and now they're on to different things. They're on to all crazy kind of things. They're, they're putting posts about all. And I could almost picture the heart of the author of Hebrews writing to that kind of person. and says, hey, pay attention to where you to when you first came to believe. Pay attention to when you first heard the gospel. Hebrews 2, 1, you must pay close attention to what you've heard, lest you drift away from it. He says, listen very carefully to the truth that you heard, or you may drift away. Drift away. The writer had drifting on a boat in mind. I was sharing this in 930 Huddle. I posted it. Can you guys believe that in Miami, Florida, I couldn't find one person to give me an anchor with a chain? So 
Imagine if I had an anchor today, since I don't have one, and I throw it on the floor like if I'm in a boat. And maybe you've had the privilege to be on a boat, and you've seen how that works. The anchor, the, the new school now, it does it all electronically, and it hits the bottom. But remember back in the days, you used to grab it, and we still do that, and we throw it out. Well, why, why are we throwing an anchor off the boat? Well, it's common sense, right? And we wait for the anchor to hit the rock, the bottom, then we pull on the chains, we pull on it, and then the skipper looks at everyone and says, we're grounded. You could jump off now. And everyone's like, good. And we all jump off because the boat is anchored. When the author of Hebrews writes this, he wants the reader to picture a boat. It doesn't make sense for me to go out on a boat with my family. I stop the boat, and I'm in the middle of the ocean. Maybe I find a little sandbar there, but there's nothing around me. And I say, all right, guys, at the count of three, we're all ready to jump off. And everyone jumps off the boat into the sandbar. And we're having a good time. But then you start to notice the music that was once loud in the boat. You're not hearing it anymore. And when you finally pay attention, where's the boat? Instantly. You just look at it. And quickly, if it's not anchored, the boat is gone. That means the boat is just drifting away. It's just drifting First off, the danger of those people now, like, how do we get out of here now? Where do we go from here? To swim to that boat, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Just, just, I want you to picture the scenario. The author of Hebrews, when he writes this, he wants us to picture a drifting of a boat and keeping that in mind. And drifting happens naturally without an anchor. If you don't anchor to something solid on the ground, if you don't hit that rock down there, and you don't anchor yourself on that rock, that boat, eventually it's just going to drift away. And the author wants you and I to know, as he's writing this to the church, that he's saying, I don't know, did I make a wrong decision? Am I, should I not follow God so intensely? Like, like did I make a... They're second-guessing their own salvation. And the author says that if you're not securely set in the truth, in the supremacy and the importance of who Jesus is, the author says that we'll drift. You'll drift into danger with the currents of the world, the currents of the flesh, the currents of evil will eventually cause you to drift. The word drift... It comes from a Greek phrase, which means to slip. And it was used for an arrow that would slip from the quiver, or for snow that was slipping off a landscape, or food slipping down the windpipe to cause choking. It, when you slip, listen to this, when you drift away, it happens easily. 
One doesn't have to do anything to drift away. Departure from the faith. Departure from the word of God. Departure from the things of God that you once fully felt fully strong about. Departure from those things. It comes from not quick, fast, speedy, but it comes from a slow drifting. Not a sudden departure. So we were once here. This is what Christ has done. But then junk happens in our lives. The struggle of the world. The struggle of our family. When we have children, maybe, oh my gosh, we get really busy with that. You know what, maybe I don't have to go to church anymore, and we separate ourselves from the community of believers. And the author of Hebrews is saying, when someone drifts away from God, it's not a sudden thing. But when they begin to slip, it's a slow process. So you know what I thought about? It's one decision today. And then it's another decision tomorrow. So all you did, all you did, it's not that bad. Everyone else is doing it. So all you did was do this. Ready? It's just one decision. And then tomorrow you do another one. It's just another one. It's not that bad. And each day you make decisions. And each day you justify stuff. Again, I'm speaking to myself. And each day, you start to go a little bit off. And now your heart feels, you could tell I've been there, huh? Then your heart starts to feel a certain way, you know? It starts to feel heavy. You know what happens when I start to drift away? Guess who bothers me the most? Oh, man, I'm going to get real personal. Sorry, Gonzalo, if you get offended. But guess who starts to bother me the most when I start to drift away? The Holy Spirit? Especially the people of God. They bother me when I'm drifting. So when your pastor starts to drift, you guys bother me. Just like when you start to drift, hey, how are you? Like, He's such a pain. <laughs> Hopefully you don't think that. But you start to drift. And you know who, what I start? Because there's this evil nature that immediately starts to rise up. You know what I start to like? And what I start to enjoy? Either we're going to be fake or we're going to be very real and honest here today. What is it? Things of the world again. The music I stopped listening to because it convicted me. Now I'm listening to it again in the car. <laughs> and then I hear a voice saying, if Jesus was sitting next to you, would you put this on? I'm like, no, of course not. So are you that ignorant regal? Because you just said that the spirit was in you. He's not just next to you. He's in you. And what am I doing? 
I'm not being careful with my day. I'm not being aware of my day. I made a decision today to watch something I should not have watched. To hear something I should not have heard. To speak something I should not have spoken. And with every one of those decisions, I start to drift and drift and drift. When you see someone go berserk and get off the map, and you're like, what happened to brother so-and-so? What happened to sister so-and-so? Look what they're doing now. They lost their mind. Don't think that that was a sudden U-turn and they jet that way. They got over there by small, little things with each day. It was a slow, slow, slow drift. Church, I'm going to be very honest. It's not because I love you. It's because God loves us that the Holy Spirit wants to ask you and I this question. Answer it truthfully. Are you slowly drifting? Because if you are, you are in great danger today. Be aware of your day if you're drifting. I get it. It's cool. I get it. It feels good. I've been there. I get it. It sounds well. I get it. Your flesh is pleased. I get it. The circle around you is all doing it. It's hard for you to be different. I get all those things. Church, are you slowly drifting? Be aware of your day today. Be aware of your day today. I'm speaking to myself. Be aware of my day. The Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16, and Paul answered him. But the question, what must I do to be lost, also has an answer. I should have given you that to write it on the screen. What must I do to be lost? What do you think the answer is? The jailer says, what do I have to do to be saved? But how about this question? What must I do to be lost? Do you know the answer? The answer is nothing. To do nothing is quite enough to be driven by the currents of the world, by the flesh, and by the devil. To do nothing is to just drift away. Griffith Thomas said this, and I'll quote him. The protection against drifting is to have Christ as once the author and the rudder of life. The anchor will hold us to the rock. And Jesus is the rock and he is that truth. And while the rudder will guide us by the truth, the anchor holds us to the truth. Church, all I can tell you is to be aware of your day. Be aware of our day. I want you right there where you're at just to examine your heart. Examine yourself. I want you to see where you're at, where I'm at. I'm the first one up here. And I will tell you today that the Lord spoke to my heart. Hey, Rigo, I want you to look around. 
I want you to look within. And I want you to be aware of your day. Because I'm not so worried about what DeSantis just did. Rigo, I'm not so worried about what Biden just did. Rigo, I'm not so worried about what the state north of us is doing. Rigo, what I'm worried in is that you don't see the condition that you're in. I need you to be aware of your day. Be aware of your day because, Rigo, you're drifting. And I fear that if you keep drifting in the way that you are with one decision a day, you're soon going to be too far away. And it's going to be even harder to ever bring you back. So as the author of Hebrews writes to the church, to the Christians of his day, and I speak those words to the church of our day, to be very careful to those things in which you first heard, lest you slip away, lest you drift away. I'm going to do something kind of challenging today because I would love for someone to come up here and pray for me today. If anyone else just like me needs prayer, I'm going to open up the front and say, can you just pray with me today? And I'm going to invite you to come up and pray. It might be awkward, it might be weird, but it's okay. Tomorrow, next week we're going to talk about we're not normal anyways. But if you feel like I just need someone to put their arm around me just to pray for me, let's spend a moment in his presence. Why be such in a hurry? And then you know what? We'll pray and we'll do the Lord's Supper together. But if you just need someone just to come and, and just speak to you and pray for you, this front platform, altar, stage, it's all open for you. But I invite you to come up for prayer and ask yourself that question. Should I go up? Am I drifting? Am I slipping? Is my anchor on the rock? If you notice that that anchor hasn't been thrown, it hasn't been caught on that rock, I invite you to come up so we could pray for each other. I'll pray for you, you pray for me, your brother, your sister will pray for you, you pray for them, because we all need it. Lord, that you would anchor my brother, that you would anchor my sister on the rock, that they would not slowly drift away, but that they would stay strong, that the Holy Spirit would be alive in them as we read all those scriptures, that they would know that they are children of God. So right there where you're at, just spend time. Don't look at your watch. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about what you have next. Have time with God. If you feel led in your heart, I don't do this all the time, to come up here and pray for someone, you are more than welcome to come up here and put your arms around someone and pray for them. Join us in doing that. Pray for someone today. Hallelujah.
Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop you never stop working Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working the prodigal son drifted away so far he was that boat that didn't throw the anchor and hit the rock Christ Jesus our rock that he was to be rooted in instead he said father I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna drift away and he made decisions that led him 
to finally slip away from the father's hand. And he was so far out. And he finds himself in a place where he recognizes, oh my goodness, how did I get here? Scripture says when he came to his mind, his drifting caused him to not even think right. He began to think as one of, this, one of the world, one who had no salvation in his heart, one who was not a son. He began to think of, of someone And he says that it came to his mind, he came back to the knowledge of sonship, that he belonged to his father. And I know that to be true because scripture says that when he came back to his mind, he says, I will go back to my father's house and I will tell him that I'm not even worthy to make me least of them, even of his servants. And the beauty of the father is that he's looking out the window and he's waiting to see his son come home. And when his son comes home, he starts to run out of the house with sandals, with a ring, with a robe, and a preparation of a fatted calf. And he meets the son and begins to kiss him on his neck. And when the son is trying to plead his case, the father begins to interrupt and say, you don't even need to share anything with your words, for I see your heart. And the Father begins to love and restore, showing forgiveness. What a beautiful relationship. Thank you, God, for being such a good Father. That even though we could slip and drift away, you bring us back in. And you say, daughter, son, I've missed you. And today I put on the garments. I put on the ring. I put on your sandals. Today we celebrate because my son, my daughter who was once lost is now found. And she is mine again. He is mine again and I am theirs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a good father to your children. If there's anyone else that's in here, I know you've given them that, that word. Be aware of your day. Don't drift where it's too far. Don't slip off where you say, how did I get here? Make the right decisions and come back on track. Make the right decisions and come back to the sheepfold. Make the right decisions and stand closer to your shepherd, closer than you've ever had. But do not slip away today. We're going to pass the elements of the Lord's Supper, and as we pass it around, I want you... As we close off now in prayer and take the Lord's Supper, I want you just to meditate there in your heart. Because Lord, all of this is possible because of who you are. So today we humble ourselves before you. We humble ourselves before you and we recognize what you've done for us with your body, with your blood. It was beaten, it was sacrificed, your blood was shed for us. And Lord, I thank you because of the person of Jesus Christ in which my anchor has hit. Lord, I've never lost sonship. I've never lost fatherhood. 
And I thank you, Jesus, because you made that possible, inviting me and welcoming me, us, to the family because of what you did with your body, what you did with the blood. And today, we humbly come before your presence. And we thank you for such a beautiful day in your presence, Lord. As you peel off that first layer of plastic, you have a cracker in your hand. And that cracker does not turn into the body of Jesus today, not for once, but that cracker that you hold in your hand does represent the body of Jesus today. And Jesus, when he was eating the Last Supper with his disciples, he broke bread and he handed it to each one of them. And he says, to do this in remembrance of me. And today we do this because we know that Jesus was the atonement. He was the the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. That drifting, that slipping away was because, Lord, the Lamb of God, you gave yourself up for me. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you because it could have been us and it should have been us on that cross, dying sin's penalty on that cross, our death, but you took it on our behalf because of your great love where scripture says there is no greater love than to lay down your life for another. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for us. Can you thank him today? So today, take of the cracker, as Jesus says, you take of him, of all of him. You leave none of him behind. Take and eat and receive him fully, for he is your Lord. And he passed a cup of wine and he says to drink and do this. Do this often in remembrance of me. As you peel that layer and you have the grape juice in your hand, I want you to think about Jesus' body and his blood being shed for you. He wants you to think about that because it had your name all over it. And Lord, I did not, we did not deserve it. We deserve to be alienated, lost in sin, enemies of God, because of the decisions and because of the issue and manner of our heart. But I thank you because your blood has covered me and your blood still runs today. And through your blood, through your sacrifice, I have been redeemed and saved and bought at a price that no other can ever buy me. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. May I pay closely attention to that which I first heard, which was given to, by Jesus and then through many others. And then I saw signs, wonders, and miracles and the works of the Holy Spirit as he saw it fit. Thank you for your body. Thank you for the blood that was given for me. May I pay close attention. May I be aware of my day, lest I slip away. Church, take of his blood today.
Lord, thank you, Lord, for such a beautiful morning. I pray for everyone that's here today. I pray that you would comfort them with rest, comfort them with peace. I pray that everyone would leave encouraged, that they throw their anchor off the boat, and that they would be rooted in Christ, and that their boat would not slowly drift away, but that they would be cautious, that they would watch and be watchful, and that they would be aware of their day, that they would guard the fear of the Lord, and that they would steward the relationship of the Holy Spirit. We pray that over every single one of us. In Jesus' name, and together we say, Amen. Can you give God the greatest praise? He's so worthy. So worthy.